verses 12 to 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Hallelujah for the word of God and bless his name. I love this passage of scripture because it forcefully makes the point that it's not about us. It's not about us. Have you ever thought about how our generation, our world, worships self? We worship our own sense of importance. And so much of what we see and do is about ourselves. It's about wanting people to be able to hear a good story about us. And I love here in this passage that we see Paul's absolute commitment to Jesus, to him being made known. Paul's whole reason, his ethic, the way he lived life was simply so that Jesus would be known, so that he would know God and make him known. And if you look at this passage, you see so many times the words Jesus and Christ. And what Paul is wanting to do is he's wanting to make it clear that he lives for the glory of Jesus. And to do that, we have to understand that it ain't about us. It ain't about us. If you look at verse 18, he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And then that famous verse later, he says, for me to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. It's not about us. I remember being at a wedding of a close, close friend about 20 years ago. And uh, uh, basically, the, you know how it is, everybody's looking at the bride. But then the groom's sister walked in in a really outrageous, barely there dress. And everybody was like, I can't believe she wore that. And you could tell afterwards, people were thinking, it ain't about you. It ain't about you today. And yet, in one sense, and you know, it was kind of this whole, I'm going to upstage the bride thing. And you know, there's an interesting thing, even when we look at the idea of what it means to live for Christ. It ain't about you. It's not about me, but it's about living for the glory and honor of Jesus. We are called not to live for a story of self, but to live as part of God's story, a bigger story, a better story, the story of God, His goodness, His love, His grace, His mercy. We are called to live in the light of knowing God and making His gospel known, the good news of what He has done for us through His Son, Jesus. Living for Christ, to know Him and to make Him known. And I want to ask you, are you living to know Christ and to make Him known? That was the prism through which Paul viewed his prison. It was the mindset that he had. It's how he viewed his world. He viewed his circumstances, not from his own point of view, but from that of the gospel. His relationships, his challenges, his struggles, his success, his past, his present, and his future was all so bound up with understanding that he lived for the glory of Jesus. You know, these. Uh, let's have a look at Paul's approach to his current situation. As we've been looking through Philippians, we've talked a little bit about the background. And we read here, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and done all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's really important that we understand a bit of the circumstances of Paul writing this. It's written from Rome where he's in prison. And it's written to people that he had loved, that he had suffered with, a church that he'd helped to grow and to form and to develop. These were people that he loved and had a strong bond. Last week, Bex talked about some of that and, and how, uh, how difficult times can cause relationships to flourish if we allow them and can cause our heart to grow bigger if we will allow ourselves to be used by God. We see here it's relational. There's a sense in which Paul is writing to put their mind at rest. They're his friends. He's responding to uh, almost a conversation. You get this impression that they've been to visit to him or they've written to him and they're saying, Paul, how are you doing? They know that he's in prison. Imagine a friend of yours is unjustly in prison. Imagine you know that they are chained up to someone 24-7. Imagine you know that 
Maybe the conditions aren't good. Maybe you know that there is uh, very few people coming to visit them. Those words, how are you doing, become more than a conversation starter, don't they? Very often we say, hey, how's things? And we ain't even listening at that point. It's an opening line, not an invitation to a dialogue. It's not an, we don't actually really want to hear how someone's doing. But you get the impression the Philippians were deeply concerned. They're saying, Paul, how are you holding up? What's your heart like? How are you coping? You know, one of the things I used to love when Gary and Naomi were missionaries in Greece was the, and I, I work partly with AOG for mission stuff, so I read a lot of missionary newsletters, but theirs were always the best because they were blunt, real, and honest. They celebrated the good things, but they shared the things that sucked. And I love that sense of openness and honesty. It was real. And what we see here is Paul being real with the Philippians. He's, talk, he's happy to talk to them about his afflictions and difficulties, but underneath it is a deep, profound trust in God. In answer to their question, how are you coping? His essential response is, I'm okay. Things have turned out well. They may not have turned out as I expected them, but they have turned out well. We see there it says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. We know from the rest of the New Testament that Paul had desired to visit Rome. He wanted to go there and, uh, and he wanted to share with the church there. In uh, Romans 1, 13 to 15, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I had among the other Gentiles. You see, Paul was strategic. His heart was to reach people, and because he wanted to reach people, he wanted to go to Rome. It was the center of the world, and he knew if the gospel could take root in Rome, then it could influence the world. Isn't it incredible that we live in London, which is the most influential city in the entire world? We live in the most influential city in the entire world. It's incredible. What an opportunity for gospel ministry. What an opportunity to see God do something here that will resonate around the world. And we get to live right in the center of the most influential city in the world. That's an enormous uh, privilege, but it comes with responsibility. And he wanted to use the influence in the worldly structures for the gospel to go forth. And so his heart had always been to go to Rome. But actually, it hadn't happened quite as he'd, as he'd imagined it. He'd wanted to get there. He wanted to go. As it is, it turned out that he went there not in triumph, not necessarily of his own uh, will, but actually he ended up going there as a prisoner. Ever wanted to visit somewhere? It's a whole different matter, isn't it? You know, I want, let's go check out the sites. No, you're in prison. 
and things hadn't worked out as he wanted. He hadn't gone with freedom. He'd actually gone as a prisoner, but there he was right in the center of Rome, chained to a prison guard, facing death, separated from people, and in tough conditions. It gives an interesting glimpse into his world. It's therefore quite amazing, isn't it, when we see his response. What's his response? What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What we see is Paul knew that God was in control. And even, and maybe even despite his circumstances, what had happened, God had used for the advancing of the gospel. That sense of advance or the progress of gospel uh, is, is, you know, to blaze a trail, to, to hack through a new path. God was in control and God was using his circumstances. And so in the light of that, Paul wasn't evaluating it by his comfort. He wasn't evaluating. When they're asking him, Paul, how are you doing? He's not saying, no, it's great. You know, I've just, I've just been out on this great walk today, and I've done this, and I went to this great place. No, no, he's saying, because God is at work, because the gospel is spreading, things are well. He says in 13 and 14, I am in chains for Christ, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul saw not the obstacles, but the opportunities. And I really want to encourage you that in what you face, let's look beyond the obstacle and let's look for the opportunities, the ways in which we can see God at work. For Paul, the key point is that Christ is preached. What happened because of his situation? Many people through his suffering were coming to know Jesus. It says here that it was known throughout the entire guard that he was in chains for Christ. People knew that Paul had a commitment to Jesus and what Paul shared, how he lived his life, gave credence to the message that he preached. There in the midst of the prison, there in the midst of the difficulty, the gospel was taking root. You know, God works through unlikely people in unlikely places. Do you know, sometimes our difficulty, our suffering, the hard stuff that happens to us opens doorways and opportunities that we would never, ever have imagined possible. You know, I once got stuck in a Kazi in Prague. I went to use the, we were on an outreach, sorry if you know the word Kazi, that's basically toilet. Uh, we were on an outreach and we were on this big housing project in Prague and uh, we were visiting this old lady's house, and she'd cooked this lunch for us, and uh, I then went to visit the toilet, had this big old door. When I went to leave, the, the door was locked and bolted, and I couldn't get it opened, and it had got jammed. And we spent the next couple of hours. Now, I am the world's second, the, the second least most practical man in the world. 
when it comes to DIY. I know that because I worked alongside my old pastor, Kurt, who is the world's most unpractical guy. But I am second in that. And so I'm trying to open this door. It's not working. Other people are trying to open it. And we're stuck there for a couple of hours. And eventually, some Czech guy comes along and he manages to do his thing and opens the door. And there I am, embarrassed to have got locked in this old lady's door, into an old lady's toilet. Here's the interesting thing. He said he had such a good time meeting us and the joy that we had as a team. He ended up going to the evangelistic meeting because I got stuck in a toilet. A whole nother definition of the throne room. But listen, here's the thing. God can use all sorts of things. You know, I remember, you know, it was 12 years ago this weekend that Annie was diagnosed with breast cancer. But one of my profound memories is after she had surgery and it had gone wrong and all these terrible side effects and things looked grim, was seeing her in a ward in hospital, going around, talking to, sharing Jesus with others, praying with people. And I just thought, we would never have chosen to be in that place. Did God cause it? I don't necessarily think so. Will God use it? Absolutely. And in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our struggles, we need to see God at work. If things didn't turn out how you expected, look for the sovereignty of God. Look for His hand. Look for the opportunities. The believers in Rome were being encouraged. Others were being made bold because of what they had seen and experienced through Paul. The believers were being made bold because they saw, hey, if Paul can do this in prison, why can't we? You know, I am, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're part of the Assemblies of God movement. But, you know, it really bugs me when people say that speaking in tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's an evidence. Actually, if you study the New Testament, the one thing you see when people, particularly in the book of Acts, were filled with the Spirit is that they had boldness. And friends, let's not look for the wrong thing. Please understand, I believe in those gifts, and I believe that tongues are for believers, but please understand, the work of the Holy Spirit is to make us bold in our proclamation of Christ. Doesn't make us bullish. Doesn't make us insensitive. Let's not mistake being gruff or big in our personality for boldness. You know, in one sense, there's a a lady in our church, Leslie Goddard, and she is incredibly bold, but actually is a very quiet, almost timid sort of person. But I don't know anyone else who prays with her patience like she does. I don't know anyone else who's sharing Jesus and doing all kinds of bold escapades for Jesus. It's, she doesn't have a big, noisy personality, but there is a boldness that comes through knowing Jesus. And you know, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to share the good news of Jesus with others. We see God at work in difficult places. We see the opportunities 
not just the obstacles. You know, verse 19 shows us that Paul had an instinctive take that God was at work. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. There was a sense that he could see God is at work. And friends, we need to see likewise. It is not all about us. It is about us recognizing what God is doing. He knew and trusted that God was sovereign. My prayer for each of us is that we would be able to trust the faithfulness of God in the midst of difficulty. There is no way, I believe, to faithfulness that doesn't involve difficulty and to some degree or measure suffering for the gospel. What does it mean for us? Firstly, know that your difficulties can be used by God. Know that your difficulties can be used by God. God is not impressed by your triumphs <coughs> and he's not intimidated by your struggles. What are the hardest things you've had to face? Because I believe God can be glorified in them. I guess for us as a couple, for Annie and I, not being able to have children was a real hard thing. And it's been a road that at times has caused us pain and tears and grief. But you know, over that time, we've also seen that it turned out for the advancement of the gospel. It has given us opportunities, situations, circumstances that we wouldn't have otherwise. Many times when I've been in uh, a place, like when we did some meetings in Silette, and I was sitting in this place with this big old spider under a chair thinking, what am I doing here? You know, trying to avoid getting bitten by this thing. And actually, one of the things that I realized is that some of the things that I'd found difficult some of the struggles, like not being able to have kids, had meant that I had other opportunities to do things like that. There are situations, there are churches that we've been able to help. There are a lot of the mission stuff we do is possible, partly because we don't have kids. Some of the work we're able to do in church, the hours we're able to keep. Again, do, do I think God causes that? Not necessarily. Will I think God redeems it? Absolutely. Friends, in the hard stuff, even in the stuff that comes about because you or I mess up and do what is wrong, God redeems and will use for his glory. Nothing, nothing, nothing is wasted. Please know that. What Paul says is these situations had turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What are you struggling with? What are you finding hard? What do you feel like you're on the receiving end? You know those days when it feels like there was a small crack in hell and every demon popped out? Look for the opportunity to share Jesus in the midst of it. And trust in God's provision. Trust in the provision of God. Friends, let's grow up and see that God is sovereign. God speaks, God knows, God calls. Secondly, know the opportunities that are there. And some of them come unexpectedly. You know, when Annie used to be a prison chaplain, she saw many people come to Christ in the prison. And there was one lady who came 
whose, whose, uh, whose case was famous. It was in the news. She was a big-time drug dealer. You know, she was known as the Queen of Bling, all sorts of stuff. She got wonderfully born again in prison and was utterly on fire for Christ, sharing Jesus, bringing change, doing all kinds of amazing things. You know, God took her circumstances and used them for his glory. That lady was dynamite. And God took her place in life, her brokenness, the fruit of her sin, which she didn't deny, but God had a plan and used it for his glory. God uses us when we know the opportunities are there. Thirdly, know that you are a missionary wherever you are. Wherever you are. The places where you are is the place where God's Spirit in you is wanting to empower you, give you wisdom, give you discernment, give you words to be able to share Jesus with others. In your family, in around your meal table, God has brought you to that place to be good news. In your job, in the school gate, at the university, whatever it is you do, look for the opportunities. Don't just look for your own comfort, but can we truly say, whatever we face, this is for the advancement of the gospel. You know, fourthly, let's know that our prayers make a difference. I read that verse, didn't I, where Paul talked about because of the spirit of Jesus and your prayers. Paul was really open. He's saying, because you are praying for me, this changes things. Friends, this is how the rule and reign of God and his sovereignty and will is exercised in his people is partly through the ministry of prayer. And if we will commit ourselves to pray and fervent intercession, great things can happen. I want to encourage us. Are we people who pray? You know, we've got some great partners in mission. Let's not just give to them financially. Let's be praying for them. When we think about some of the projects that the church runs, like whether it's the CAP course or Lunch with a Difference or Growth or whatever, let's not just do stuff, let's pray. Because where there's prayer, there's power. Where there's no prayer, there's no power. There's just a bunch of effort. Where we pray, our prayers mean something. And know that God is in charge. Let's not take a, a fatalistic view. You know, whatever will happen, will happen. No, a trust in who God is, a knowledge that he is in charge, but also an understanding that we have a role to play. I think I've told you before about my friend Oni in Calcutta, who was invited to speak at a mosque and talk about Jesus. And he spoke about Jesus, and uh, he's a quiet, unassuming man, and... Uh, some of the people in the mosque were really quite open. He spoke about Jesus, but somebody basically got offended and shouted something like, quick, let's rush him. And the whole thing, people went to, he got beaten. The whole mosque was in uproar. Fortunately, there were some lovely, sweet Muslim people who took him away, got him out of there. Um, 
I asked him about this. And please remember, Oni's not, if you've met him, some of you, he's not like a big guy who can take it. He's, uh, he's classic Bangladeshi kind of pot belly, skin, spindly legs, you know, like that kind of. And, uh, and so he's not a tough guy to take it all. I'm half Bangladeshi in case you're thinking. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let me just get that in there. But when I asked him, about, he said, you know what the incredible thing is? He said, the next day, loads of people came to see how I was. So I got to share the gospel with loads of them. And I just thought, that is God at work, trusting the sovereignty of God, but taking every opportunity. Let's look at Paul's approach to his opponents. We see here that there were people that were actively opposing Paul. Paul's uh, effect in Rome had been good because it had galvanized some of them who'd been really bold and people who had a great heart and said, Paul, we are with you. We're preaching the gospel more fervently because of your here. And then he says in verse 15, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. The motives of some of them was wrong. They were preaching the gospel, but actually, and the gospel it seems that they preached was right, the message was correct, but the motive was wrong. Maybe they felt insecure, maybe pushed out by him. Maybe they were leaders in the church who were used to having a place and a position, and suddenly Paul is stirring up the believers. We don't know, but we do know that some of them had wrong motives. Maybe they were saying there's something not right about that Paul, or he wouldn't be in jail. Or maybe there was the hyper-spiritual. Well, if Paul had so much faith, he wouldn't be in prison, would he? God would have bust him out. We don't know what the motives were. We don't know what the accusation was, but we know that they weren't preaching the gospel from a right motive. But Paul, because his desire was to see Jesus glorified, because he wanted people to hear the good news of Jesus, it excited him. Verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Isn't that interesting? Whether it's from great stuff, motives, or bad ones, the important thing is Christ is preached. Paul could cope with difficult motives. It's really interesting, isn't it? Paul didn't feel he needed to compete. You know, what's interesting is that Paul was really hard if people change the message. So Paul could cope with dodgy motives because after all, it's not the motives that save people. It is, the, it is the truth of who Jesus is. You know, you could be a non-Christian, somebody with no faith. You could preach the gospel and people could respond to Christ because they hear and respond to the word preached. But when people change the method, Paul was really harsh. And if you look in Galatians 1.9, it says, uh, and as we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul confronted 
perversion of the gospel. He talks to Timothy and, and makes sure Timothy's aware he's got to confront wrong teaching. Paul could cope with wrong motives, but he wouldn't have a wrong method. What is a wrong message? What does that mean for us in practice? It means that I have to see and understand God is at work in others and even those I differ from. That there are people we may not like how they do it, but people can come to Christ and genuinely encounter God, sometimes in places we wouldn't expect. You know, there are loads of churches, I think sometimes the teaching is really off, and God is at work, and ultimately, as long as they are preaching Christ, the true gospel, and people come to Christ, we have to, in one sense, rejoice in that. And Paul had the ability to do that. I think it's really important that we understand that not everybody who differs with us, not everybody who wants to challenge us is opposition as well. Sometimes, actually, it can be love and care and concern, and it can be the thing we need to hear. We need to trust that God is at work in others, that God is at work in people's lives before we meet them, while we meet them, when they go on. We have to understand God is bigger than us. And we see that sense in Paul here, even in those who were different, even in those whose motives weren't right, Paul was okay because Christ was being preached. As I said, it's a very different matter for those who change the gospel. As a church, we love partnering with other churches, but we can't and won't part, partner with churches whose gospel is no longer authentic. You know, when people deny core gospel truths. We can't partner with them. Now, I wouldn't allow somebody who holds dodgy views on, on heaven and hell, the uniqueness, ex exclusivity of Christ, I wouldn't allow someone like that to preach on anything in our church. But, you know, we can differ, and we need to build unity with others. We don't have to agree with everything as long as Christ is preached and the gospel is central. Those that we partner with more, we'd naturally want to be more on the same page. But the important thing is, is Jesus being preached in a real and authentic way? You know, Paul's faithfulness encouraged others to preach the gospel. Whatever you go through, you know, there are people in this room who are Christians because you saw a loved one, some of us, even in the last stages of their life when they were dying, you saw how they faced death, and that caused you to believe in Christ. Never underestimate the power of your witness when you go through difficulty. And let's quickly push on to Paul's approach to his future. This passage talks about how Paul looked towards the future. Again, we know that the threat of execution hung over him. He, in one sense, wasn't sure of what his future would bring. But what we see is that his heart is that he wants to see the purpose of God advance. I really want us to understand that, take hold of it. He wanted to see the purpose of God advance. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. 
Paul had a confidence in adversity. This whole passage is full of the centrality of Christ, of Christ being preached, of people being given boldness to speak about Jesus, and here of living for Jesus, and even being ready to face death for Jesus. One of the privileges that I have sometimes when I sit with the believers in in Egypt or in other tough places is just seeing people who live for Jesus where the stakes are high. Friends, it's transformative. And Paul had that sense about him. For me to live is Christ. Think about that for a second. To live is Christ. I don't think any of us can really say that. I think we struggle with it, don't we? But I think it's, it's a great thing of saying, God, let that be my heart. For me to live is Christ. He says, if I live, it's fruitful labor. I want to ask you, I want to challenge myself. Is what we are doing, how we are living our lives, fruitful labor for the cause of Jesus Christ? Again, please understand, that's not saying you have to work for church stuff. But in whatever situation, in your workplace, your home, your family, your community, is living fruitful labor for Christ? If not, how can we change it? It's a great thing to think about. Am I being fruitful for Christ? If we remain in him and he remains in us, we promise we will bear much fruit. Paul knew that to live was Christ, but also to die is gain. To die is gain. That's an incredible statement when you think about it. To die is gain. Paul was saying, if I get to stay here, even facing death and adversity, if I stay here, I fruitfully serve, I live for Christ. And if I die, I gain. Why? Because he would be with Christ. But also, I believe he would gain, it would be gained because others would be able to see his faithfulness to Jesus, even unto death. And it would encourage and bless others. Paul knew that this world was not his ultimate destination. Friends, one thing I think that as a job, partly my job as a pastor, is to help to equip you to live life but also to face death. You know, it's a taboo in our culture. We don't really talk about death. Some people won't make a will because they don't want to think about dying. And friends, death has a 100% success rate. It's something we all face. And as Christians, we need to face it differently. One of the greatest privileges of my life has to be, been to spend time with believers facing the last minutes, hours, sometimes occasionally days of their life. It has always impacted me, the difference Jesus makes. Friends, how do we view the future? Paul had this confidence in God, a confidence in the sovereignty of God. He could face death with a sense of joy. Why? Because he knew Jesus. For me to live is Christ. He wanted to carry on serving them. But in another sense, he says, I want to be with Jesus. While 
the Western church slides into a mire of compromise, theological liberalism, and half-heartedness, the heroes of our faith as Christians increasingly are black, Asian, Latin American believers, people in the Middle East who stand fully wholehearted with Christ in the face of adversity and the face of death. I don't know if you saw this week about Lawan and Dimi. There's a picture of him up on the screen there. Probably none of us had heard of this guy till this week. He was uh, taken captive by Boko Haram in Nigeria. This is from the video. You know they kind of force them to do a video often. In his video, there is a peace and a calmness that comes from God. This week, I think it was Friday, it was, it was made known that they had executed him. In the midst of this video, he said these words. It's really interesting, even secular newspapers picking up on the fact this guy was different. And he said these words, Thank God for everything. I have never been discouraged because all conditions that one finds himself is in the hands of God. By the grace of God, I will be together with my wife, my children, and my colleagues. If the opportunity has not been granted, maybe it is the will of God. Friends, as I read those words, I was convicted and stirred in my heart of my own half-heartedness. And my prayer for you and for I is that we would be inspired by men and women like this, men and women who are prepared not just to even live for Christ, but to be faithful even unto death because they know they live for a bigger story, making Jesus known. They love Christ and live for him. Friends, I pray that we would be inspired to do likewise. Father, we want to pray now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we, Lord, we just want to honor the fact even of our brother who faced death full of your spirit. And God, we're reminded of our own half-heartedness. And Lord, we pray that you would give us a boldness. Father, I pray for this beautiful congregation, young, old, of different backgrounds, different races, different social class, different stories. Father, I pray that by our love for one another, we would be known as your disciples. Father, I pray for each one of us that in the, in the circumstances, in the suffering, in the brokenness, and even in the consequences of our sin, that Christ would be honored and exalted. Father, we pray that along with Paul, we would be able to say that our circumstances have turned out for the advance of your gospel. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.